The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Great to be with you. Excited to look at this text with you. Let's pray one more time. I need the help. Ask for the Lord to, to bless us. Father, we thank you again for your word and what it says, and we know this is a book from you because no, no human being would ever write this on their own. Um, will you speak to us now, Holy Spirit? We need you to be here. Uh, do what I can't do, what none of us can do. Open our eyes and our hearts to you and, and uh, bring your word in a way that's written on, uh, on our hearts, that we would see you, um, feel your love, for us in Christ and be enabled to truly bear this fruit of love. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are uh, still in our sermon series we've been calling Saved Two, And we're thinking about the life that God has for us as Christians. What, what is this life supposed to look like? What's the power for it? How do we do it? And this morning we are going to see that we are saved to love. So if you're a Christian, you have been saved from your sins, from God's wrath, at least in part to do what? Just to make it super clear. What are you saved to do? Love. Love. So at first glance, you might think this is the most predictable thing in the world, right? So we're at church, and you're going to talk about love. Okay. And uh, it's one of those statements that nobody disagrees with either, at least not at first, right? If you Went to Mile Square Park and you had a poll. Are you for or against love? I'll go for. I mean, what do you think? Out of 10, how many people are for love? Any of you today, are you like, no, no love? I don't like it when people love me. Well, of, of, of course not, right? Religious leaders, even rock stars, they know all we need, right? <laughs> Is love. Well, if it's so obvious, I guess we could just be like, oh, I guess we're finished. Well, if it's so obvious, why is it so hard? If it's so obvious, why is it so hard? And not only is it hard, but uh, I think we're a bit confused on what love is and what it means to love. So we, we know it's good, we have a hard time doing it, and sometimes we don't even know what it means to do it, especially in our culture. I mean, don't you love the English language? See, I just did it. Don't you love the English language? Love is one of the most absurd words in the English language. I love chocolate. Can I get an amen? Up? Okay. I love Star Wars. Um, I love my kids. And Jesus loves me. Does he love me like chocolate? What's more, in our culture, we actually have language that says you can fall in and out of love. So what on earth is love if you can fall in and out of it? Is it a hole in the ground? Ah! You know? Is it a broken roller coaster? Ah! I fell in. I fell out. What, what is this thing? If I can roll around in it and out of it like an apple from a bucket, love. You know, the love we're encountering today from this text is very, very different. It's unique. That's the first thing. We should expect it's unique. The phrase we're opening up today is the fruit of the Spirit is love. So this is unique in its source. Where does this love come from? 
the Holy Spirit of God. So that's, that's different. That's not something you pull out of your pocket. The fruit of the Spirit is love. More than that, it's unique in its quality. God is love. It's his love, his kind of love. Third, it's unique in his practice. It's unique in its practice. So this kind of love grows out of you like a fruit when you walk with the Spirit of God. And so isn't this passage saying, hey, Christians, I want you to live in my kind of love. My love for you lived out in your love for one another, and I want it to come naturally out of you. I want you to be living in this divine, supernatural love. Isn't that what he's saying? That's different. That's unique. We're in Galatians 5 again. Last week we saw how the Apostle Paul is motivating Christians to walk by the Spirit. And we saw this is our life as Christians, our life in the Spirit. If you missed that sermon, please check it out. It's on the website. This morning we're working out, okay, walk by the Spirit, bear the fruit, bear the the fruit of love. So two basic questions. What is the love of the Spirit? What does this love look like? Second, how do you actually see this grow in your life? So what does this love look like? How do you see it grow in your life? And before we look at what love is, I want to think with you a little bit about what love isn't. What love isn't. See if you agree. Here's what I think. Our culture's version of love seems to be, I love you because you make me feel good. That's what you're taught every day in the world in which we live. I love you because you make me feel good. So there's, I love you because you give me physical pleasure. I want that girl to be my girlfriend. Why? Her beautiful character. No. Her face, her body. There's a physical pleasure. I'm in love. Okay. I love you because you give me physical pleasure. Or I love you because you give me emotional pleasure. When I'm with you, you make me feel good about myself. You're a smart, intelligent person. You have friends like that. So if I could be with you, I feel like I could be that person too. But you're giving me some sort of emotional or identity kind of pleasure. You help me feel loved. You help me feel lovely or lovable. And I like that. Or I love you because having you in my life gives me a sense of value or identity that I need. But doesn't that add up to this? I love you because I use you to love myself. That's our culture's view of love. I love you because I use you to love myself. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's what the culture's saying? Why does love fade so quickly, right? Why does it end so quickly? Well, because they're no longer enabling our self-love, right? Haven't you seen that happen in your life? Maybe you've done it to somebody. Somebody gets let down or confronted. We're done. What happened? Well, you don't help me love myself anymore. You're not fitting my standard of I need to feel and look like and have a certain thing. And if you're not giving it to me, then well. See, see, our love is our love is secondhand. I love you because I use you to love myself. I think that's our culture's version more often than not. What do you think? Is that love? And that's loving somebody like you love chocolate, right? You eat chocolate. Isn't it amazing in Galatians, Paul said in verse 15, that's not on the slide, Galatians 5.15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Even in church, we can love each other like chocolate. 
In other words, I use you for how you taste. I use you for how I love myself. And if you get in the way of that, if you change something I love or if you don't treat me the way I expect to be treated or if you don't give me the identity I think I deserve, if you're not coming through with how I use you for how I love myself, we're done. It's predatory. That's not love. What the Bible calls that is flesh, the flesh. And so you'll notice our main enemy in this passage, right? You had, you had two, two uh, ideas, two truths, two realities that do not like each other. And what were they? You remember? On the one hand, in one corner, weighing nothing because he's spirit. Um, <laughs> the spirit, the Holy Spirit and his set of desires. And in the other corner, the flesh. And that set of desires, so you remember when you say the word flesh, you're not supposed to think of of your body, your muscles, your sinews, that's good, God likes that, you're going to have a body forever in heaven. The flesh, no, the flesh is our deep inclination towards what I called last week pitiful pride. The deep inclination towards pitiful pride. And because Paul seems to think that understanding the flesh is so important to understanding also how to live in the spirit. I want to go back to where we were last week just for a moment, Jeremiah 2.11. So look at this, Jeremiah 2.11. I want you to see that how the flesh has two parts, pitiful pride. So number one you see in Jeremiah 2 verse 11, God says, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. So the first thing to see, you got a really bad trade here. What did we trade? Glory. What's that? Beauty, value, worth, satisfaction, everything life is supposed to be. In fact, God himself. I traded out glory, and what did I trade glory for? That which does not profit. So that, that by definition, is a terrible trade, right? I trade out the best for something that doesn't work. It's vain, how does this work? Verse 12, be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked at this. Be desolate, declares the Lord. This is terrible. And then in verse 13, he says, for my people have committed two evils. So how many evils? Two. What's the first one? Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Uh, what does God compare himself to in this phrase? A fountain of living water. And that, that's wonderful because guess what you and I have? Thirst, right? We have needs, deep needs. Identity needs, meaning needs, relationship needs. Uh, so Needs of the heart, and we're so thirsty. And there's God, he's the fountain of living water. So it's delicious, it's satisfying, it gives you everything you need. But our sin in our flesh is that we've forsaken that, and that's the pride part. We've said to God, it's the same thing with Adam and Eve with the tree, it's each one of our sins. If we've said to God, I don't need you, I don't want you, I can do this myself, I won't be satisfied in you, I won't submit to you, I'm going to look somewhere else. So that's the pride, right? The pride is when you look to the fountain and say, I'm thirsty, but I'll go somewhere else. That's the first part of the flesh, pride. Secondly, it's pitiful pride. Because look at the second evil in Jeremiah 2.13. Number one, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Number two, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. And what are these cisterns like? Broken cisterns that hold no water. 
So you're thirsty. Here's the irony of our sin, the irony of the flesh. You're thirsty, but you've said, God, I'm not going to you and your truth. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do this better. And so the, the problem is you're still thirsty. And so you go to your own broken cistern, right? And there's no water in there. It's just muddy sand and you're breaking your teeth, sucking on sand, trying to quench the thirst. And what does that look like to you? To me, it looks pitiful. It's just pitiful. Pitiful pride. And that's the flesh. Look at these verses in 19 to 21 of Galatians 5. Can you see pitiful pride turning into self-centered love in these verses? Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. What's happening there in sexual immorality? Baby, I love you, so give me what I need. Will you marry me? No. How long will you love me? As long as you please me. I don't feel like that's love. So the works of the flesh, right? It's prideful. I'm, I'm abandoning God's, God's rules, God's ways. I'm going to do what I want the way I want it to get what I think I need. And then it's like, love, love me. And it's, and it's, it's not real love. It's a love that uses others to love self. You see that in these first three things? Now, now look at what happens in our relationships. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger. What is that? Fits of anger? You didn't love me the way I thought I should, and you're going to pay for it. Jealousy? I want what you have. What is that? I love myself, and I'm angry that you have something I think I should have. Envy, dissensions. Do you see? It's a, the flesh can only give you, because of its pitiful pride, it can only produce a self-love that uses others. Does that make sense? Our sinful flesh, because we rebel against God, we turn away from him, and we're going to do things ourselves, that pitiful pride gives us a self-love that uses others. We call it love. It's the flesh. It's the flesh. And it even happens in Christian community. So if, if we're seeing in our flesh and our culture this false love, which is really a self-love that uses others, where are we going to see a picture of real love? How do you know what love truly is? Because as long as love is conditional on what you offer, it, just, it dies on the vine, right? Imagine if I said to my wife, you're, you're servant-hearted, and uh, you're beautiful, and you're kind. You really, you help, you support me in my career. Everything about you makes me happy and makes me better. I love you. You're kind of like, oh, I'm flattered, thanks. But what happens if, you know, right? As long as there's like a condition, I love you if you provide me with something. Self-love. We need a different view of love. In 1 John, we know, what does it say about God? God is love. He is love. We know God is a trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. <laughs> and it seems like the major thing about them is the Father, how does he feel towards the Son? Infinite love for the Son. 
And he's glorifying the son. He's giving, making the son the inheritor of everything. And the son, how does he feel towards the father? I love the father. And he, in Corinthians, he brings back the kingdom to the glory of the father. He's giving of himself to love the father. And it seems like the person of the Holy Spirit is the, is the vehicle of that love. So we've got to look to God to see what love is. And I want to show you now this passage from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. Have a look at real love. The first thing you see in verse 9 is the claim John is making. This is where you look for love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So what's it mean to make something manifest? Reveal it, show it. So John is saying, you want to see love? Look like right here. Remember that old rock song? I want to know what love is. Anybody like that one? I'm always happy when that one comes on. Watch it. I'm not supposed to do that in a sermon. Okay, I'm going to show you right here. This is love. Show me. Okay, I'm showing you. First thing to see. Phrase in verse 9. God sent his only son. What is God doing? He's giving of himself generously and sacrificially. Wouldn't you feel love if he sent you an angel? Ah, thanks. That wasn't enough. What did he give you? His son. Could he have given you anything better than that? Is there, is there anything in the universe better than for him to give you Jesus Christ, the begotten son? I mean, he gave you, that's why Paul says in Ephesians 1, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. He get, there's nothing he didn't give you because he gave you the son. Generous self-giving. More than that, look at what the son gives. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means to satisfy wrath. God is angry at our sin, righteously, justly angry. And so when the father sends his son, the son also gives of himself generously and sacrificially. What did, he, what did the son give you? Why is he living a perfect life in human form? He's living his life for you so that he could make you righteous by his perfect life. Why is he on the cross? I mean, what is he giving on the cross? He's giving himself in totality, drinking the cup of God's wrath so that he could give to you this gift of total forgiveness. To where you can know he paid for every one of your sins. And there's no, no wrath left. The first thing to see about love is God gives himself generously and sacrificially. How generous? It can't be more generous. He gives himself. He gives his son. How sacrificially? It can't be more sacrificial. Jesus on the cross. Another thing you need to see from this passage is to whom God is giving the love. Look at verse 10. John 4, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Not that we have loved God. 
You already know the answer if you've been to church too many times, at least this church, but try to feel it again. Did God, is this how it worked? Did God look at you and go, oh, that person loves me. I'm going to love them too. Is that how that worked? Let me just say that a lot of the world thinks this way. Well, I'm a good person. God must love me a little bit. That is not how this works. By God's righteous standard, there is no good person. And so when God looks out at the world, he did not see people who deserve his love, and he feels bad for them, so he'll give them what they deserve. When God looks out at the world, he sees people that deserve his wrath. What did you do to deserve the love of God? What did you do to disqualify yourself from the love of God? I've done everything possible to disqualify myself from the love of God. I've rebelled against him over and over again. I've looked at the fountain of who he is and says, no thanks. I've, I've gone to the sandbar. <laughs> I'll be happy over here. I'll make it up myself. I have disqualified myself. And yet, who is God loving? Generously and sacrificially. This is the power of the gospel. He loves the undeserving generously and sacrificially. He sent his son to those who hate him. His son died for those who rebelled against him. Look at this passage from Romans 5, 6 to 8. I know you've seen it before, but feel it again. Romans 5, 6. Why we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. Don't like God. Don't want God. Don't respect God. Don't follow God. And that's who Jesus died for. Verse 7. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. You know, we each have a small list of people we might consider dying for. Look at this list of who Jesus died for. God shows his love for us. You want to see a picture of love? Look right here. God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you while you were a sinner. So I ask you the painful question, what was the condition of his love? They, oh, you're so, it's a beautiful face. What a winning personality. What a great smile. We are sinners, rebels. We deserve his wrath. The point is, there is no condition in you that caused God to love you. The condition for God's loving you is in God. So you can't go deeper with, than this in love. Why do you love me? I love you because I love you. That's why. So back to that conversation I'm having with my wife. Oh, I love you because you're beautiful and you're kind and you serve and you build me up and you encourage me. Is all that true? Yeah, it's true. Of course. But is, if, that, if that's as far as it goes, that's me loving myself through her. In the end, I say I love you because I love you and it won't change. That's love. That is God's love for you. You are loved. You are loved. If you have put your faith in Christ, you can know you are loved. And it's not conditioned on what you've done or haven't done. 
It's conditioned on the perfection of Jesus. So back to 1 John 4, let's get that up again. First thing to see about love, God gives himself generously and sacrificially. Do you see it? Generously, he's giving himself sacrificially. Christ is going to the cross. Second, God gives himself in this way to the totally undeserving. Third, why does he do it? Look at John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. Why? So that we might live through him. Do you see it? So that we might live through him. See, Jesus gave himself sacrificially for your best interests, for what you needed. Wasn't he serving you on the cross? Wasn't he giving you what you needed the most? I was dead in my sin. What did Jesus do? He made me alive. He's given me what I needed most. He's met my needs. He has seen what I need, needed and given himself for me to meet that need, even though I didn't deserve it. And would you, will you ever see a better picture of, of love than that? You know, our world gets it, but they don't get it. I'm curious, every time I, every time I watch a movie, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the, uh, the switch in the story that saved the day. And I don't care if it's Kung Fu Panda or Star Wars or some relational drama or whatever. I'm going to look for it. In every single one, the, the crux of the story is when somebody gives their life for somebody else. There's a sacrifice that happens where somebody sacrifices to bless others, and that's what wins the day. It's in all our best stories. We know it, but we don't know it. Because we know it enough to see it and celebrate it and get chills about it when we watch it. We don't know it enough to do it on an everyday basis. This is love. And I want to show you one more slide from 1 John 9 to 10. Because in 9 to 10, John shows us the love of God. Look what he says in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, what? We also ought to love one another. See, we, we say we like love. I'm not sure if we do. <laughs> Are you for love? I can think of people loving me. Oh, that's nice. Although when God loves me for my best interest, he messes with me sometimes. So even then, it's like, he's, your love is too intense. You ever felt that way about God's love for you? He wants all of you and he won't let up. Or we like to think of love as, you know, do you, do you love? Are you a loving person? Yeah, and you think of vague, generally nice feelings towards people. I love you. Love my church. I feel happy right now towards their smiling faces, which is great. The Bible says to have brotherly affection. There should be a warmth to it. But the nuts and bolts of love you see it in God's love. Here's how it works. What did he do? Generous, sacrificial giving of, the, giving of self for the undeserving to meet their best good. That's love. Do you love others? What is he calling you to? Generous, sacrificial, self-giving. Maybe the hardest part for the undeserving to meet their best interest. 
So you see what love is. Gosh, I'm moved by God's love for me. I'm intimidated by trying to love like this. I'm, uh, you already know this, but I'm going to go ahead and confess it. Hi, my name's Matt. This is hard for me. Anybody else a little bit like, woo? Okay. I was all into Hallmark love for my friends. Show me the love of God. You're messing with me. How on earth are you going to do this? Especially within Galatians 5, right? You got these two things. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus, you have these two realities in your heart. One is the spirit. You are, this is your life. You are a spirit person now. You have the spirit. You have new life in Christ. And sadly, what do you still have lurking? Flesh. Flesh. So there's still parts of each one of us that want to love others by using others to love ourselves. And it comes out, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So how do we really bear this fruit of God's love? Well, Paul's told us to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Guess who is with you to help you, to enable you, Love like this more and more and more. The Spirit of God. This is not a hopeless endeavor. This is not a hopeless endeavor. You have everything you need. Everything you need to grow in this fruit of love. A few things to see about love before we get there. Um, how many of you think love is essential? Okay. There's a few verses out there where it's like, if you don't love your brother and sister, you might want to check and see if you're a Christian. Right? Uh, one thing I want to point out, I think it's helpful. Paul says, uh, the works of the flesh, that's a pitiful pride, right? You've got to work for yourself. And then what does he call these uh, characteristics of somebody who's walking by the Spirit? Fruit. And fruit is wonderfully different than work. Work is something you're trying to enable and scratch up, right? You're, you're trying to protect yourself in your anger. You're trying to please yourself in the passions or whatever. But you're, do, you're, trying to, you're thirsty and you're, you're trying to drink. Fruit is totally a different idea that you're satisfied and this is coming out of you naturally. You're satisfied, and this is coming out of you naturally. It doesn't mean you don't cultivate it or put out effort. Of course not. No way. That's not what he's saying. But it's not a work. It's a fruit. It's organic. If you're connected with the Spirit, this, this love will show. I think it's interesting to see that the word fruit is singular. Singular. Fruits of the Spirit you know what we could do with fruits of the Spirit? You know, which fruit will you have today? Um, here's, and here's where we, we, get, we cheat a little bit, okay? Uh, true or false, you each have different personality bents. Yeah, okay? Some of you are naturally self-disciplined. Some of you are more naturally gentle to people. Some of you are more naturally courageous and bold. Uh, it's not something you have to work on. It. It's who you are. We could look at this list of fruit, and based on your personality bent, you could be like, you know, well, I'd like others to love me, so I'll have some of that. And um, I definitely need some peace in my life, so I'll have some of that. 
and I'm pretty good at self-control, so good enough, right? I, I went to the buffet and had a few bites of the fruit of the Spirit, but love, that's too hard, or gentleness, that's not for me, that's just not who I am, or faithfulness, uh, no, I can't do that. Right? You, is, is that the way we should see this? The fruit singular of the Spirit. You're, this is one fruit with many aspects. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 4. You'll know, right? Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's talking about love. And what does he say about love? Love is patient and kind. I thought they were different fruits. It's one fruit. Listen, where are we getting this? One spirit. Whose character is it? One person, the character of Jesus. So, so what this means is that the fruit singular of the spirit, we all must grow in each aspect all the time. So we, we can't really play the, well, I'm, I'm gentle, but I struggle with that, so I'll just be gentle, and you, you do that fruit. No, no, no. Every fruit, the character of Christ, every aspect of the fruit, really, the character of the Christ in all of us, that's what the Spirit's doing. And love, I think, is the, the dominating or the, the ultimate aspect to this. So in other words, if you're loving, you'll be patient with people. If you're loving, you'll be kind right? Love, love is the top of the mountain. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, what am I? No, a noisy gong. Blah, 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 blah. I'm the peanuts teacher. Wah, wah, wah. And what's the difference? Love. Sacrificial self-giving to the undeserving for their benefit. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am what? Nothing. And this one blows me away too. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, I mean, isn't that like epic Christian stuff? Saint whoever gave everything, saint whoever died at the stake, wow. Even that is garbage if you didn't do it out of love. So what I'm saying is you could come here and you could volunteer for something. You could be at every service and you could give all your time. And you could work so hard and use your talents and say the right thing at the right time. And if you don't love, it's not worth anything. And how many of you convicted by that? I think we should all be convicted by that. We've all had moments of service with no love, right? The fruit of the Spirit is a unified fruit, and love is the essential or the overwhelming aspect. This is huge. And God wants you to love, to bear this fruit. Okay, how? Well, we, I, last week I tried to give a definition of walking by the Spirit. So I'm going to give that again and try to work it out. Walk by the Spirit by constantly relying on His presence, trusting His gospel promises, 
and engaging his power to kill the flesh and cultivate the fruit. Say it one more time. You walk by the Spirit by constantly relying on his presence, trusting in his promises, his gospel promises, and engaging his power to kill the flesh and cultivate the fruit. Constantly, that first word. When are you supposed to walk by the Spirit? Constantly. This is part of our problem is we, we, we do this, we hold his hand for a while, and then we let go, okay? And you probably know this in your life. When you're, when you're cultivating your relationship with God, when, you're, when you're, you're solid in his promises and life brings you stuff, I mean, some of you are, you've been amazing. I've seen you walk through incredible challenges, and you've handled it with incredible grace. I mean, can I get an amen for that, church? Okay? We've, it's not like we never love or walk by the Spirit around here. See it all the time. But isn't it true that the more you're ready, you're constantly with the Spirit, you're ready to, to take what comes. Whereas, right, a downtime, you're not seeking God, you're, you're not at church, you're not in fellowship, things are rough, something else comes and, you know, it doesn't look good. So constantly is a thing here, constantly. You, 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 don't, you don't ever take a vacation from this. And that's the only way we're going to love, constantly walk by the Spirit. By relying on his presence and trusting in his promises. I'm going to mash those two today. Uh, relying on his presence. Is he with you? Is God with you? John 14, the Spirit's your, your paraclete, your helper. He's speaking to you. He's comforting you. He's, he's there. So know, right? You should know you are not in this alone. God, you are with me to help me now. Rely on his presence. And trust his gospel promises. Trust his gospel promises. But the reason I went back to that Jeremiah passage is because it shows so well our thirst. It shows our thirst, and God's a fountain. And the flesh is the, is the crusty, crusty sand. But we're thirsty, which means if you're going to bear fruit, I mean, and this imagery works on so many levels. What does fruit need to grow? Water. Water. What do you, how do you water yourself so that you can bear fruit? Because you are thirsty. You can't love unless you're filled up with God's love. You can't love unless you're filled up with God's love. You'll be empty. You'll be looking. The flesh will creep, creep out of its hole because you're looking. You have got to be satisfied with the love of God. That's the only way to fight sin, right? You can't grit your teeth and work harder. You have to replace that sin with a superior joy, a better pleasure. You have to be quenched with the love of God. And so if we're gonna bear, I mean, this is, this is the number one step, I think, for bearing the fruit of love, is you have to be full of the love of God. How do you do that? Rely on the Spirit and trust His gospel promises. Look at Galatians 2.20. Look at how Paul sees himself. He, he says, he's saying here, I have a totally, I have a new life, and here's why. Galatians 2.20. I have been what? Crucified with Christ. My old life of flesh that's dead. That's so big. How do you see that flesh? Does it own you? Or did it get nailed to the cross? You don't have to follow it. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives in me. I'll ask you right now, does Christ live in you? That Christ, you know what you're talking about, right? Eyes of fire, made the world, upholds everything by the word of his power. That Christ heals the lepers, turns the water into wine. That Christ died and rose from the dead victorious, reigns and rules. That guy, is he in you? You believe that? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, there I think he means body, right? The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? He loved me. Why does he say past tense? Doesn't part of you want to say loves me? Why does he say past tense? Because if you look at your circumstances right now, you might have a hard time finding his love sometimes. Love, duh. Where do you look? Back. And what do you see there? Cross. He loves you. If he loved you while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then he loves you now. Because if he did that when you were that, do you think he's changing? He loves you. He loves you. I'm different, Paul says, because I'm loved. In Galatians 5, he's telling you to fight the spirit. And he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Those who what? Belong. Does he want you to be his? Does he say, hey, you're mine. I love you. Do you say, I'm his, he's mine, I belong to him. Do you know his love? Look at Galatians 4, 6, our memory verse. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And what's our heart doing now? Crying. It's a motive, right? It's a motive. Ah, and what are we, what's our heart bleeding out? Abba, Father. So Abba, you've, you've probably heard this. It's something incredibly familiar. It's a way to call, it's calling your father daddy or something like that, Papa. But it's closeness. It's a word that means I know you love me, and I love you too. And that's what the Spirit does. The way you walk by the Spirit and start to bear the fruit is constantly rely on the presence of the Spirit and trust the gospel promises. Because to pour out, you gotta fill up. To love, to bear that fruit, you gotta water. And the way you get filled up is to be high on the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. That's why something like daily devotions, that's no small thing. That's why meeting with other Christians, it's no small thing. Because you don't just go pop a love pill, right? People have tried that, it doesn't work, it's the flesh. You have to be in your spirit filled up with the love of God for you in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And that happens through people, prayer, and proclamation, the word of God, community, gospel promises. Get filled up with his love. Get filled up. Next. So constantly rely on the presence of the spirit. Trust the gospel promises of the spirit those things in Scripture, that's gospel promises. And third, engage the power of the Spirit to do th two things. What do we do with the power of the Spirit? Kill flesh, cultivate fruit. So what are parts of your flesh that keep you from loving? You ever ask this? You know, somebody 
you know you should love them, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to. What's going on in your heart? I'm going to point out two aspects this morning. One is pride. You cannot love people you feel self-righteous towards. You can't love people you feel self-righteous towards. Not very well, okay? True or false, there are some people that are easier to love for you than others. You should all be like, amen, pastor, okay? <laughs> They're sitting over there in the corner, you know? Some people that are hard to love. Does that give you the right to love? To, to, do you have the right to love people who are easy and not to love people who are hard? Uh, so you can only, you know, just love people in your political party. Love people in your denomination. Love people in your religion. Some people only want to, we only want to love the people who are doing well. Others of us, we only want to love the people who are doing awful, right? You got a bleeding heart for the poor, you don't care about somebody who's doing well. They're fine. They don't need your love. Where's, where's the difficulty in your heart on who you get to love or not? Part of that, doesn't it come from pride? I'm better than them. And what's the gospel do to that line? What do you do? You stand over here next to the cross and you say words like, I'm better than. Can you see Jesus on the cross going, no, you're not. Okay? The cross says, no, you're not. To whom do we get to be self-righteous? Nobody, because at least what we believe, right? I'm not self Righteous. I'm not righteous in myself. He makes me righteous. So the gospel will kill the pride that keeps you from loving, I think. Second thing in the flesh. Remember, this pride is pitiful. And I think the second thing that keeps us from loving is fear. What do you think about that? Fear. It's hard to love people you're afraid of. It's hard to love people you're afraid of. Uh, in First John, um, I don't have a slide for this, but the author will say, how can you say you love your brother, but you won't give to them in need? So one way we love is financial giving, right? If somebody's need is food or what have you, give to meet their need, right? That would be love, self-sacrificial giving. What keeps, what keeps you from giving? I won't have enough. I'm afraid. What keeps you from giving relationally? Boy, I'd like to talk to that person, I'd like to engage with that person, but they might not like me. They might not respond to me. You know, some of, some of you are newer here to this church, and I'm so, so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I can guess what it's like to be new and interested where you're like, I want to be friends. I, how do I do this? But some, of you, some of you are thinking, I could use more friends. Maybe I should have somebody over, but they might not want to come. True or false? Fear keeps you from loving. Uh, is fear from God? Is God like, you should, you should definitely be afraid? <laughs> Does he ever say that in the scriptures? You should be so afraid. Stay at home, suck your thumb, don't go out there. It's a scary world. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Second Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's not given you a spirit of fear. But of what? You remember? Power, love, self-control, sound mind. So pride and flesh, or excuse me, pride and fear 
our flesh. And what do we do with those things? Remember? What do we do with the flesh? Bam! Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. You're like, Pastor Matt, that was too much with the gun thing. You know what crucifixion's worse? It's worse. Crucify the flesh. What do you do with your pride and your fear that keep you from loving? You engage the power of the Spirit with the promises of the Spirit, and you kill it. The promises of the Spirit will kill your pride because you'll remember the cross. The promises of the Spirit will kill your fear because you'll remember the cross. How loved are you by the only one that really matters? How loved are you? Do you ever, do you ever have this fancy, this fantasy where you somehow become independently wealthy? Does anybody else have this problem? I get too vulnerable in these sermons sometimes. You ever, oh, you won something. Somebody died and left you everything. And you're independently wealthy, and now you're writing these, like, secret checks to help people. You ever had this idea? You're like Bruce Wayne, you know? And you're writing these secret checks, and, and it makes you feel like, boy, I'd be a loving person if I just had the chance. The dreamy part of that stupid dream is that you want to love without sacrifice. Jesus didn't sit up there and write us checks. But the good part of that dream is you're already independently wealthy. You are already independently wealthy on love. You're going to inherit the world. You're going to inherit God. You have the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with him. All the torrential love of God, the fountain of life, belongs to you in Christ you are more love than you could ever dream of. You will never get even close to the edge of this love. You'll never reach it. You are independently wealthy on love. There's nothing stopping you from loving when you trust those gospel promises. You kill the flesh, you cultivate the fruit. Last thing, okay. So I'm walking by the Spirit constantly. I'm relying on his presence. I'm trusting gospel promises. I'm killing flesh like pride and like fear. And now I'm cultivating fruit, and so I'm feeling, ah, I'm hanging in the middle, but I know I'm called to love. So what do I do next? And one thing that comes up here is, what about if you don't feel like loving someone? You ever uh, heard the phrase, well, I don't have to like them, I just have to love them? What do you think? I mean, what do you think? My first thought is, if love wants the benefit of someone else, right, isn't that the goal of love? You can never be content with your heart being like, I hate that person. You can't leave it there. You can't do it. If you want their best, you, you can't leave your heart there. I don't, think about Jesus. See, this always gets you into trouble when you think about Jesus. Because did he love you without liking you? Is that the way he feels about you right now? I love you, but I don't really want to be with you. I hope not. And, and the Bible tells me otherwise, right? My name is written on his hand, on his heart. We're his bride. So does he love you but not like you? Is that what, is that what heaven's going to be like? Oh, yeah, go play in the yard, but don't come home. I love you. I'm giving you stuff. I don't want to see you. That is not the love of Jesus. 
And you're like, but wait, okay, but we live in a world with some nasty people. Yeah, I know. And that's the grain of truth to this. Uh, you shouldn't wait until your heart is bursting with love for someone to act with love towards them. Maybe you know your heart should be here, but really it's here. But you know your deeds should at least be here. Don't wait until your heart ma magically makes it to happy land. I just love them. Don't do that. Act. Act. Cultivate love. Act. See a need. Give yourself. Meet the need. Before your feelings come around. Isn't that love? Don't wait on your feelings. Don't be content with gnarly, angry, bitter feelings. That's not right. But don't wait on your feelings to be everywhere they should be before you love. Cultivate the fruit. I heard Tim Keller give this illustration. I wanna, I wanna run it by you, see what you think. Keller notices what probably all of us notice about tragically many, many marriages, many marriage relationships. Um, the, the two, they're in love. They have kids. Years pass. The two are no longer in love. But they sure as heck love their kids. You've seen that one? Okay. I'm not trying to pigeonhole every situation in this. I'm trying to draw one idea. Here's one, here's one idea that Keller was pointing out. I think it's pretty interesting. He says, think about the nature of your expectations, or imagine it if you're not married and don't have kids. The nature of your expectations toward your spouse, toward your kids. The nature of your expectation toward your spouse is they're going to serve me somehow. The nature of my expectations toward my kids, they cry in the middle of the night. What do you do? You serve. What do you do for your kid for forever? You serve. And then what do you do after that? You serve and you serve and you serve and you serve. Our kids were throwing up the other night. Marsha and I were like running a relay race. We should have had a baton. I think between the two of us, it was like 20 times out of bed. We just quit. We just, you know, high fives on the way in and out of bed because serve, serve, serve. Uh, and I'm glad my kids are like, serve me. How is it, Keller wonders, that sometimes you can be done with your spouse but still in love with your kid even when they're total jerks? Have you noticed that? You can be in love with your kid when they're total jerks. <laughs> That's like the first amen I never had to ask for. Maybe, he says, maybe one thing that's happening is, you see, it's not just feelings that influence our actions, it's actions that influence feelings. And maybe it's not just that we love, that the one we love the most, we serve the most, maybe it's also that the ones we serve the most, we love the most. You love that kid unconditionally because you've been serving him unconditionally all your life. And we fall out of love sometimes because we quit serving and we wanted to be served. Maybe there's something to it. Again, I'm not pigeonholing every relationship. I'm just showing the, the illustration that we think we can't serve somebody because we don't feel it. The, the unbelievable gospel truth is if you serve them when you don't feel it, a lot of times you start feeling it. You start feeling it. So you can cultivate the fruit by the power of the Spirit.
cultivate it. So I gotta ask you, what is a sacrificial, self-giving deed of love to the totally undeserving for their benefit that God is calling you to this week? Who does he want you to love? We're gonna take up our offering here in a second. As we do that, I want you to pray and ask, all right, God, where, because you're full of love, you're loving people all the time. Me too, it's not non-existent. But there are places, right? There are blind spots. Where is somewhere I know I need to love and I don't feel like it, I don't wanna do it? And you say, but God, fill my heart up with your love for me, totally undeserving, and show me how I can kill my flesh, kill my pride, kill my fear, and put love into practice. It's gonna feel risky, that's right. I went in with this quote from C.S. Lewis. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. That's fantastic. But in that casket, dark, safe, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. If we won't love, we kill ourselves. And even though love is a risk, always, because it's self-giving, we have what we need in the gospel to bear that fruit.